Oh, how fun is this? This is just the best. Ah, the decorations, not just on the stage, but the whole walk in the hallway. We get students with us for the next month. Just the energy, this is so great. I'm just, I'm super stoked about this, uh, this, ne this next month together. Uh, I'm Pat, I'm one of the pastors on the team here. And uh, woo, one of us is excited about it, two of us, me and James. Uh, uh, but guys, today, today marks, we are 23 days out now to Christmas morning, to, to Christmas. And so uh, we are opening, we are beginning, we are starting a new series that will be our journey together through Christmas Eve. You will not want to miss Christmas Eve here. If you've never made it to a Christmas Eve service, you need to be here. It is, it is probably the best thing that happens all year long, but uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, but this season, if, if you just think about it for a moment, it, it, it's, it's radical, the amount of change that comes with Christmas time, with Advent. Uh, you, could, you could look at things just even like Starbucks. Starbucks chooses to change all their cups into the nice holiday style, a little holiday theme. You can, you can uh, flip to, to warm 106.9, the only time that we ever listen to it all year, but we are committed. It's in both our cars all the month of December. Uh, they got Christmas music rolling. You can go into downtown Bellevue, which is totally transformed into Snowflake Lane, and everyone makes the pilgrimage there, and, and it's uh, pretty wild, pretty fun. Uh, but you can even look at nature. You can, you can look at the Olympics or the Cascades and, and notice how they're kind of starting to dawn. They're like wintry, they're white, kind of sweaters of snow. Uh, and then all the aunts out there, I, I know you're, you're kind of finishing up those, those homemade pajamas for your favorite niece and nephew. And so uh, there's, just all, there's just all kinds of things happening, all kinds of things happening. And really what this season has kind of been marked by, what sets it apart from the rest of the year it's kind of become this, 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 this kind of season where everyone's in pursuit of joy. Everyone is seeking joy. Everyone's looking for, for that which will bring them kind of happiness and gladness and fill them kind of with delight. And so there's this, this, this kind of endeavor. And, and it's, a, it's a beautiful endeavor. It's a, it's a noble thing to pursue joy. And so that's what we're going to talk about. That's what we're going to set December aside is where do we find joy? Where do we find joy? And we have all kinds of options. We have all kinds of places we can look for. But where do we find joy? Well, there's no better place, I think, in all of Scripture of really unpacking this subject than looking at the birth story of Jesus, looking at the nativity, looking at the coming of Christ, his birth into this world. So that's what we'll be doing. Each week we'll be taking a different angle, looking at different texts that will kind of help us in this journey. And so this morning we'll be in Luke chapter 1. We're going to look at the tail end of Luke chapter 1. Uh, but before we even get there, I want to start with this metaphor. I want to start with this idea. Uh, and, and what came to mind was a fishing trip I got to go on a few years back now with one of my best friends, uh, salmon fishing. I'd never been before. I've never been since. It was amazing. We got to go on the Quinault River. Our, our guide that day was a member of the Quinault tribe. And so he knew this river like the back of his hand. Uh, we, we, we started early in the morning, we went all day, and he knew each part that was best in the river for each part of the day. It started out super cold, steam's coming off like the river, and it just warmed up nicely. And all of us caught our limit. This is, this is a pick from that day. This is, this is me with one of the fish I caught. Yeah, I know, I know. I think you're all marveling at those pasty white biceps in the background. But uh, I, 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 I wore so many layers, all long sleeves, it kept warming up. That, uh, is that not a kid from Spokane right there? Just a vest, no shirt underneath. Um, 
But here's the thing. It, it, here's why this comes to mind. Is, is the whole way fishing works is you just trick the fish. You just got to throw something in there that looks good enough for them to be willing to think, to be tricked into thinking that this is just a delicious meal until they realize that it's not, and then they end up in my freezer in these vacuum-sealed fillets by night's end, right? A total scam. They, they totally bought onto something fake, and it was to their own detriment. And what I wonder, what I would suppose, what I would kind of posit to us is, what if the evil one has kind of been picking on this season of the year? What if, what if this, this, this kind of great deceiver has been able to, to drop some lures in this month? Some things that look really great, some, some areas that we maybe are willing to pursue and, and attach ourselves to that, that are best or fake and maybe at worst are really harmful to us. What if that's something that's happened? And if so, what, what would some of those things be? And so what I want to do, I just want to speak to, to one that I think we would perhaps all agree on, and I think there's just a wealth of evidence that points to this, is that I think in our society, I think in our day and age, I think here in America, there's this idea, there's this lure in the waters of Advent that somehow joy is purchased. That somehow joy is something that you're able to make a transaction for. That if you spend enough you can get some joy. That, that joy is somehow measured by tree, presence under the tree. Or, or the bigger the purchase, the bigger the impact on the joy meter at home. That, that it's this idea that if you don't have joy, no joy, that, that, that it's because you have no money. But if you have more money, you have more joy. So it's just this thing that we've kind of maybe got wrapped up in a little bit. Even this uh, kind of sales figures, just this last weekend. Uh, you, have, you have on uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, $60 billion worth of purchases that happened, followed, which is record-setting, by the way, uh, followed by Cyber Monday. Monday brought in a haul of $8 billion, a huge record for Cyber Monday, where things are really starting to trend. In all, estimates are that Americans will spend probably in the neighborhood of $464 billion on just Christmas. That's enough that if, if we were to divide that amongst ourselves, first service too, we'll include them, right? Uh, uh, every man, woman, and child at church today could get $34 million and go home. I know, everyone's like, whoo, glad I came to church. Guys, we don't have the, the $464 billion. Like, it was an analogy. I, some of you guys are waking up, like, what? Uh, but, but, but think of that. Think of this kind of the waters that we're swimming in when it comes to kind of this consumeristic idea. And what I want to do, I, I, I kind of should back up a little bit. Well, I'm, I'm not poo-pooing the idea of gift giving. Uh, Leah, my wife, and Sailor, my son, they're going to have gifts to open on Christmas morning. I, I don't want to lump a coal in my stocking. Uh, what I am encouraging us is to perhaps think deeper, to pursue greater things. Because this first point, and it's maybe worth jotting down in your, in your notes as you follow along this morning, is that when you seek joy in things that don't last, you'll find a joy that won't last. And so if the things in which you're kind of investing into, that you're kind of viewing as your source of joy, if those things are limited, if those things are, have a shelf life, if those things can break, if they can wear down, if, if, if perhaps the end of their journey here on earth is at a dump somewhere, then your joy won't last as well. It's attached to that which you put your joy in. And I think we can even tease this out a little bit. 
But can everyone in here, are you able to remember everything you bought last year? Just everything you purchased as it related to Christmas. Gifts, decor, and everything else. How about everything? Can, can you think through? Can, can, are you able to recite all the things that you got last year? That you were the recipient of? That other people spent for you? And then think back maybe another year into 2016 or 2015 or 2014. I, I think we begin to realize that there's a little bit of amnesia as it relates to some of this. That if our joy is in things that don't last, the joy won't last. And so this morning we get to look, look in Luke chapter 1. We get to have someone teach us named Mary, the mother of Jesus, as she sings out a song. And so if you want to follow along in the notes or one of the, the Bibles in the seatbacks in front of you or on the screen, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 46. And since it's a song, I figured I'd sing it for you guys, all right? Going solo here. No, not at all, not at all. No, 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 no. You don't want that. Trust me, trust me. Here we go. Verse 46, Mary responded. Again, this is a song. This is a song. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty hand has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. Here's this context in which Mary sings out this song. A little earlier in that chapter, Luke tells us that Mary is visited by an angel and told that she will be with child. A divine pregnancy. She's a virgin and she will be a virgin by the time that she gives labor and delivers Jesus into this world. A, a supernatural pregnancy. And so she hears this. She hears the promise of what this child will do, be the savior of the world. And she is just a teenager. She is young. She is a child preparing to raise a child. And here is Mary singing out this song. And what she teaches us in just the opening line is really our first point that we can kind of begin to build upon. And here is where she teaches us, is that you will always find joy in your Savior. You will always find joy in your Savior. There's so much in this song, and, and in fact, it's, it's called the Magnificat, and what that means is it's the Latin word for magnifies. In these first couple of verses, you see the heart, the theme that's coming out of Mary's heart in this song. Our Eastern uh, uh, Christian brothers and sisters, that they would actually, they sing this. This is part of their evening Sunday service that they would sing out together. It's a form of their liturgy, of their worship time together. And this is what Mary's doing. Is, is, is she's letting us know, and she's singing it for herself, and we should be joining with her, is that our joy is found, is always experienced in our Savior, in Jesus. Here's the first two verses. Oh, how my soul repraises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She correctly recognizes, again, that this child in her womb will be her Savior. 
She's recognizing that God has chosen her, this poor, brown-skinned, teenage Palestinian Jew named Mary, to be the mother of Jesus, Savior of the world. So just think of the context for the moment in which Mary is singing this song. Mary has just found out that she's about to be a mother. She's not yet married. She's engaged to Joseph, and so there's some complexities even there. She, she has to really trust that the Lord's doing a good work in Joseph as well. And so she knows. I mean, things are kind of happening in maybe the wrong order as it looks to society, and so she will be victim of societal shaming for sure. The angel tells her to go and visit her cousin Elizabeth, and, and Elizabeth six months pregnant with John the Baptist at this time. Now, this will be what Mike preaches on next week. And, and, and there's a neat moment that happens there. And it's in that moment, in that time with Elizabeth, that this song bursts out. And so in just thinking of everything that Mary is going through, you recognize the deeper joy that she's kind of anchored to, this confidence that she has. That even in the most uncertain time of her life, she is able to sing out. She's able to rejoice. And it really gives us the definition that we'll be using as we work through this month together, through this series. Here's the definition of joy. It's this quiet confidence that ultimately everything will turn out right in this life or the next. Because God is over this, he is in this, and he will work through this, whatever this is. We have a joy. What Mary is teaching us is we have a joy that looks forward to what God will do. It's a joy that we stand in, knowing that God is with us. He is working. He is, he is present. But at the same time, she also is expressing a joy that's able to look behind her, connected to history, connected to her own story. Here's what she says in verse 49. For the mighty one is holy. He has done, he has done great things for me. So she's both looking forward and, and, and looking behind. Future tense and past tense. I'm always fascinated by this reality and, and just this thought that we can remember so many things and that so many things kind of tip off our memories. Uh, for example, maybe a particular scent is connected to someone or a particular memory that's, that's related to that. And so whenever you smell it, a particular thing comes to mind. It, it, it could be a sound. A particular sound tips off your mind into another memory. It could be a place. Uh, places almost act like hard drives. You go there, and the memories you have there begin to flood your mind. Uh, the perfect example of this. A Co couple weeks ago, the, the back church parking lot has radically changed for me from two weeks ago. Every time I go to the back parking lot, I cannot help but smile. I am overcome with joy. Because what happened a couple weeks ago was when I parked and was coming into work, one of my favorite coworkers, Jody, pastor in middle school, her car was parked like this. Is that not amazing? Like, not even close. Like, it's one thing to be a little into the next spot. Her whole front axle is into the spot in front of her. What made this even better? It gets even better, guys. This is, this is great. This happened on a morning where Jody left with the student ministries team. So it was like this for three days. So for three days, can you imagine how many texts I was sending her? 
Can you imagine how many people on staff I was, I was kind of letting people know, hey, you got to go outside. And it got so busy, I actually started leading just tours. There was all kind, you know, just every hour on the hour, just showing people this parking job. It, it was so good, I had to get even a better perspective. So I went on the third floor and took this picture, which is even better. She's in the middle. She's in the middle. I love it. She's from Kentucky, so I think they double park in a different way. Like, you know, you know not the one next to you, but uh, oh, it's just so great. It's so awesome. And, and if you have middle schoolers, please let me tell you, they're in no better hands. Jody may be a terrible parker, but she's an amazing pastor. She really is. She really is. Yes, it's Jody. You gave me such an early Christmas gift. It was so, all of us actually. Thank you so much from all of us. What I'm trying to say, I think, uh, beyond just really weaseling away to get these pictures in this message, uh, Jody has done great things for me, right? Jesus, the Lord, has done great things for Israel, for Mary. And she pauses to reflect on that. She takes a moment to sing that out. This is an issue the nation of Israel had. As you read the Old Testament, you see what begins to happen when they forget what the Lord's done for them. They begin to depart from the faith. The same is true for us. We cannot forget what the Lord has done for us. We must carve out times to remember, to pause. What's that look like for you this week to make it very practical? Is it an earlier morning so that in the, in the, in the stillness of the morning, in, in, in the dark of the morning, you, you, you light a candle, you grab a journal, and you just begin to reflect. You just title it, Great Things the Lord Has Done For Me, and, and you just jot them down. And you just think, and, and, and that is your worship. That is your song. Maybe, maybe you need to move a little bit, and there's, there's a great trail or a great park near your house, and so you just decide to go for a walk. And maybe you just talk out loud the great things the Lord has done for you. Maybe you sing them out. What does it look like to, to, to step into this, to own this? Maybe you go on a little pilgrimage. Maybe there's a particular place where you have encountered Jesus. Or where, rather, he has encountered you by his spirit. And to go there would bring that memory to mind. But this is radical. This is a radical way in which we find our source of joy. And what I'm not saying, and this is something I'm very mindful of in this season. I'd say with each passing year, I'm a little more tender at this time for sure. Because I'm so connected to so many people who have suffered great loss. I recognize life is not one great joy after the next, after the next, after the next. Thrown in the mix is, is, is great grief, is great loss. A week ago, Thanksgiving, we're at the McQueen's. Swanson's went to the McQueen's with a few other families. And, and Josh, before praying over the meal, he made space for this. He made space to name those who should be in the room with us. People who should have had a place setting that day to eat with us. Who were not. And so, here, 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 here's what happens in that moment. As Josh speaks into that reality, it's not that joy gets sucked out of the room. It's that grief is invited in. And in one of the most beautiful things of our faith, joy and grief sit side by side. 
What I'd love to do, a, a, a great opportunity for those of you that experience this, this weight that comes with this season, this grief, this loss, is this Thursday is the lament service. Third time we've done this now. And it's a great opportunity to just be ministered to. To come and be with those who experience the pain that this season brings. Not because it's without joy. It's because it also has grief. And so 7 p.m. this Thursday, and maybe there's people even coming to your mind right now. A neighbor, a friend, a co-worker that really could be ministered to in this, in, in, in this particular way. It, it, invite them. Come with them. Participate. But this is, again, one of the ways in which we trust Jesus. He is the source of our joy, and in him we have the greatest confidence. There are things that Jesus has saved us from, death ultimately, but there's also things that we'll experience this month that Jesus has saved us from. And this is our next point. Jesus, he has saved you from a Christmas about you. He saved you from this. We can fall into the trap of thinking it's about me, my wish list, my presence under the tree, my plans, the way I want things to look, the food I want on the table, me, 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 until you get everything you want and you still end up miserable, until you watch every bowl game on TV and you're still not entertained, until you've beat every level in the game and you're still feeling empty. Andy Stanley says it this way, and you got to listen closely. It's, it's pretty brilliant. If you live for yourself in the end, you will only have yourself to show for yourself. I'll read it again. If you live for yourself in the end, you will only have yourself to show for yourself. It's this diseased life that's so turned inward, so isolated, that you become the source and the means and the telos of it all, the end in which you live your life, that it's empty. It's like a, it's like a cavity in a tooth. It's, it's nothing. It's, it's, it's a missing, it's, it's, it's negation. And so look at these strong words in Mary's song. This is the warning she gives us. This is the kingdom that she's speaking to. And, and we sing of Mary being meek and mild, which is, which is great. I, I love that line in that song. Um, but Mary can bring it, guys. She's got a voice. A teenager sings out this song. And, and I'll tell you what, I think Jesus got some of his chops for preaching on the kingdom from his mom. Because listen to these words in verse 52, 53. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. In the Greek, here's what Mary is saying. He has brought down the huskies from their thrones and exalted the cougs. He has filled Washington State with good things and sent the U-dub away with empty hands. You see, dogs, you get your moment of glory now. Six straight Apple Cups, nine of the last ten, current Pac-12 champs headed to the Rose Bowl. But we all know in the fullness of time, in the fulfillment of what Jesus is doing, that he will exalt the lowly 509 and bring down the great 206. Come on, somebody. That's the kingdom. If you don't get that, I don't know a better way to communicate it. It's an upside-down kingdom. The good news of Christ is not that there's some select few that get to enjoy all things. The reason princes are brought down, the wealthy are brought down, the reason Jesus opposes certain things is it's anti-kingdom. 
These are structures and these are particular people that in their power, in their fame, in their wealth, in their privilege, what they've done is they've created systems that are about them. And yet they're in positions. They have influence in which they could impact the lives of many. And Jesus' kingdom is for all. No one is left out. This is the good news. This is the thing that Jesus is saving us from is this endeavor, this lure, if you will, that kind of wades in the waters of life, thinking that it's all about me, that the greed, that the fame, that the importance, that everything is steered towards me. Jesus saves us from that. And his kingdom communicates the opposite. Jesus' life communicates the opposite. It's other-oriented. It's not filled with greed or selfishness. It's filled with generosity. It's this outlandish nature of the kingdom. And this is the good news that Mary is speaking into. And that Jesus, as you look at his teachings, he repeats. And you look at the prophets and they've repeated it. That this is something that we're invited to live into. It's a radical reality. And there's times in which this kingdom breaks into real time. There's moments where you kind of witness this on full display. For example, just last week, last Monday, there's an amazing moment of the kingdom here at Overlake, here that happened on site, and it was this Thanksgiving feast with safe parking. And it was so awesome, and I was even talking to Craig about it earlier today. He was just saying how great it was. And it's just this image of just community. You have people that are just enjoying time together, enjoying food together, laughter together. It's a bounty of food. You have people cooking turkeys and bringing them and making chocolate cakes and bringing those. And, and, and then you had Kid Town get in on it and they're coloring placemats for every setting there. And, and, and it's a picture of the kingdom. It's a picture of this relationship oriented, this, this way in which everyone is connected to one another. And there's not, there's, there's not a few that are lording over the others that are, that are steering it, making it about themselves. It's about everyone loving one another. And that points us to this last reality, this last point, this last truth for this morning. It's that he has saved you for a Christmas. So he saved you from one about yourself, but he has saved you for one about relationship. A Christmas about relationship. Joy is found, it is experienced in robust, in, 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 in this vibrant act of relationship. Not in isolation. Here are the words. When we come to the conclusion of Mary's song, she, she's kind of she's submitting to us in a way. One of the core themes that's running throughout everything she's just said. Verse 55, for he made this promise, speaking of God, for, for God has made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. What she's saying is this is all about relationship. It's a promise made to Abraham, the father of our faith, through Israel, made reality to everyone, all nations, all people, all of humanity. If you're a human, raise your hand. If you're a human, raise your hand. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm a little worried. Some, some of the things we got, 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 got creeping around the room right now, but uh, call men in black. I don't know what's going on in here, but uh, it's for us. Amen. Overlake, this is a promise for you. What's this promise of? Well, Mary has gone right through it. It's a promise of relationship, a promise of rescue. That's what a Savior does. 
A Savior saves you from something. It's a promise of making all things right. It's a promise of reconciliation. It's a promise, ultimately, of relationship. As my friend Steve says, God desires relationship with us. He doesn't just love you. He likes you. He enjoys you. He wants to be with you. You're not just tolerated in some type of kind of uh, uh, talk of love. It's this enjoyment, this pleasure, this liking that maybe, maybe fits better with our languaging, with how we think of things. And we get to see this on display. I think there's moments throughout our day, throughout our week, throughout our lives where we get to see love displayed. And what we need to be better at is recognizing that's actually a bit of a display, at least in part, of how God loves us. Last night, I, I was at a wedding of a, of a student that got married uh, uh, who came through the ranks of student ministries, and they tied the knot over here on Redmond Ridge, and, and it was awesome. Uh, one of my favorite moments were the toasts were so good, so many inside jokes that you could just see, not just the love of the couple. I think that is an ultimate expression of love, no question, but even of just best friends, just the banter happening. And I think that's an expression. I think even watching an aunt or an uncle kind of enjoy and spend time with their niece or their nephew, I think that's an expression of it. Marriage is an expression of it. There's all kinds of expressions of love that I think are helpful for us in informing just how crazy God actually is of us. And so what if relationship became the theme for your Christmas this year? What if relationship kind of got, became a, maybe, maybe filter is the best way. The, 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 the way in which you think about this coming holiday and the purchases that come with it and the time spent towards it and other things is with this emphasis, with this theme of relationship. The emphasis shifts from presence, the things you wrap and put under a tree, to presence. The idea of being fully with another person. That you go after a, a different endeavor this year. And maybe there's some experiments that come with it. Singles, singles. When you're out there grabbing a bite with your friends, maybe what you do, instead of, instead of taking pictures of things and posting on Instagram and then just liking the pictures of the people that are already with you sitting at the table, uh, uh, maybe you put the phones down. Maybe you put them in the middle of the table and, 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 you, and you let a meal ride on it. You say, first person to reach for their phone. First person that just can't handle it. They're just totally going through withdrawals. So, so hardcore that they go for it. They got to pick up the tab for everybody. A little Christmas present for everybody. Parents, what if out of office became one of your just best friends, one of your go-tos this month? You're just flicking that thing all the time. You're just, it, seems, it seems like you don't even work there anymore. You're just, you, when you get home, you're totally home. You're unplugged. You're all there. I promise you, the sun will continue to rise. The world will spin. I don't think everything runs on emails. Teenagers, where are you at? Give me a, give me a little noise. There we go. I put you to sleep 10 minutes ago. I apologize. Teenagers, what if there's a little less time on Snapchat and Fortnite and Red Dead and, and you spent time with your parents? What if, what, if, what if just in the time with your parents you found out how cool they really are? Or maybe they're not. We'll, we'll find out. Guys, come on. Stop your game. All right. But I think there's some practical things in this season that we can deploy, that we can live into, that begin to, to kind of shape and redeem and help us avoid the lures, again, that I think have been baited in this season. 
Some more ideas so that you don't end up in a house with five people in five different rooms on five different screens might be this. Instead of an online game, it's a card game. Play cards together. It's things you hold and you, 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 you play and, and it's, it's actually there. Instead of a movie, it's charades. Talk about inside jokes. A lot of inside jokes come with charades and a lot of blackmail. So maybe have the phones out for that. That's pretty good. That's good. Instead of just eating a meal together, going out somewhere, maybe enjoy the process of making a meal together and eating it together and even cleaning it up together. What if this season looks radically different? Instead of solo time, it's family time. I'll end with this. I'll end with this. As I was just kind of reflecting, I was trying to think through what was like maybe my favorite Christmas growing up. What was, what, what was my favorite Christmas growing up? And what came to mind was second grade. I'm pretty sure I was in second grade. It was my second grade Christmas, and there were two gifts that my dad gave me that I just loved. And it wasn't necessarily the gifts themselves as too much what came with the gifts. And the two gifts were this. One was Battleship. Anyone remember Battleship? Yep. Yeah. Battle, it, it is a great game. It is, it, it's like a fake radar screen, and you're trying to sink the other person's boats and ships and submarines, and so you're just kind of guessing where they're at. Uh, it, yeah, B4, totally. You sunk my battleship. Uh, so you got, you got the game Battleship, but then what came with the gift Battleship that was just over the top were walkie-talkies, over ear, over like the head walkie-talkies. So my dad's mind, he's like, oh, this is great. This is great. You, you kind of feel like you're in a submarine and you're, you're, you're doing the little radar thing. And we're just talking back and forth. And so, so we, we, we do this. So we're, I'm like upstairs and he's downstairs or I'm like back in the hallway. And, and what happens is the walkie-talkie, it's really hard to hear if it's a B or a C. You know, it's, it's so, so I, the whole time he's saying, you know, B5, and I'm, and I'm not, a, not understanding if it was a B or a C. So I'm running up the stairs to ask my dad, was it a B or E? Okay, got it. Wait, what about the last one? Oh, man. All right. Well, I think you sunk that ship, but we'll get back to that. You know, like the whole game just went crazy. It totally went sideways, and I think my dad was a little bummed out. But what ended up was this moment. We're in the same room, not really needing the walkie-talkies, although they made some cool props. And we're just enjoying it. Battleship. Can you imagine how boring Battleship is as a one-player game? There is nothing worse. That is torture. They don't even let you do that in the, in the army. You know what I mean? Like, like it's a two-player game. Same with walkie-talkies. What makes them so great is there's someone on the other end of the conversation. What I want us to walk away with this morning is that God just wants to spend time with you. He wants to be with you. He doesn't just love you. He likes you. This is a season all about relationship. Advent, this whole idea of expectation, of anticipation, is really about relationship. A God who is with us. And so an important thing that we can live out of, regardless age or stage of life, is this fact that we're each a child of God. And he would want to have these interactions with us, this time with us, moments of presence with us. So Overlake, let's live from that place and allow everything else to fall into place. But if we live from there, I think we will find the type of joy that we're actually looking for. In this moment, would you stand with me? I want to pray over us. And then I want to, I want to encourage us to, to respond into worship.
And in particular, there is a refrain, there is a verse, there are are words in this song that actually declare this out. It's coming into agreement with the reality that, yes, I am a child of God. And as you declare that, allow that to inform your thoughts, your faith, everything you're walking through in this day, everything that comes in this season, that you are a child of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the joy that we have in you. And we thank you for Mary, for bringing it this morning, for what we have been able to learn and now apply to our lives, to our journeys. And so I ask that you would just unleash us on this journey of experiencing just this unending, constant, overwhelming sense of joy in you. And may it flow through this place and and, and help us with this, this, this idea, this reality that we are your children. And that you don't just love us, you like us. In your name.